Thanks for tuning in, guys. You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg Driver. I'm joined by Rahul Johnny and Leon Everett. Let's go! Well, I was talking earlier about getting Korean food and... I didn't get Korean food in the end. I ended up buying pizza because I'd already taken money out and kind of committed to the fact <laughs> that <laughs> I was going to get takeout tonight for dinner. But here I am full of pizza and this is Ace Comicals episode number 71. Slightly disappointed that I didn't get Korean food and had to settle for pizza. It was like anger pizza. It's like me and Sophie <laughs> were like walking home and we were like, so what do we do? The Korean place is closed. We got there and it was shut and kind of like dropped to our knees and it started raining in a really localized spot. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then we, uh, we we were like walking home deciding what to do. It's like, well, look, I, I've already got money out now. I'm, I, I've committed to buying takeout. I'm not going to cook anything. It's like pizza. Okay, pizza. How do you so angry pizza. eat a pizza? Like from the center outwards? I mean, like, it, it's or like, when, or like you eat crust first. You don't angrily eat the pizza. It's just pizza that's ordered in anger because you couldn't get the thing you actually wanted. Right. Well, and fine, like, I'll eat this pizza. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy this. Come hell or high water, and I'm going to feel really full afterwards, and it's going to be really satisfying, but it's not what I wanted. I was jealous of your uh, Korean meal as well. I thought you had it. Yeah, I was living no. vicariously through you. I was hoping you'd get those wings. No, no, I didn't. I didn't get them. That's karma for me telling you I was going to be eating Korean food. That's why you should keep it to yourself, man. Yes, but what, now... What did he- you get on your pizza? What did I get? I got spicy sausage. I and, and, and I go to a place called Bagos Pizza in Leicester. I don't go to Domino's because... You don't go to Domino's if there's another pizza place. You don't. Unless uh, Domino's end up sponsoring us one episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, at which point, yeah, Ace Comicals loves Domino's. Put us on your boxes, no? Uh, <laughs> please sponsor us, please, sir. No, I'd love um, a Domino's sponsor. Oh yeah, that'd be wicked, wouldn't it? But uh, we we are not sponsored by Domino's. We are Ace Comicals, and this is episode number seventy-one, and um, bunch of comics to talk about as usual. Uh, should we just get straight into it and start with the latest Boom Comics title, which is Something is Killing the Children? Um, and that's not a statement, you know, because Something is Killing the Children is the name of the comic. I, I'm not saying Something's Killing the Children. And it's not a question either. Yeah. <laughs> something, something is killing the children. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Something is killing the children in this book. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to dig you out a blurb for Something's Killing the Children. So, um, GLAD award-winning writer James Tinian IV, who I know from his Batman stuff, teams with artist Werthedel Edra uh, of Briggsland for an all-new limited series about staring into the abyss to find your worst fears staring back. When the children of Archer's Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. Most children never return. But the ones that do have terrible stories, impossible stories of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope of finding and eliminating the threat is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children will claim to see what they can see. Her name is Erica Slaughter. She kills monsters. And that that is all she does. And she bears the cost because it must be done. So, I mean, like, are you afraid of the dark? Because you probably should be. Uh, is the vibe I got from this comic. Because, like... um, 
it's like it's laced with like bleak and and unrelenting and uneasy like atmosphere like all the way through the whole thing i mean what well you know what leon what did you make of this well yeah it has this energy or something simmering in the background and there's this foreboding sense of dread even from the start i think that the um cold open as i call it before the the uh the big splash of the title comes up is amazing uh it look it looks great to begin with the art is really cool the uh, of uh, all these different blues to sort of, uh to convey this late sleepover type vibe and the playing a game of truth for dare and when you hear the uh the initial story that uh one of our main characters starts telling his friends uh, it, it's really effective in sort of building this dread just from the words, just from what he's saying. And it's a really nice um, sort of turnaround when we actually see uh, what the real horror uh, of that evening was. Um, uh, and the way it just, you get this, and I say this all the time, because I mean, I'm a film and TV guy, so this is the time to take your shot. But it does have the feeling of a pilot of like a, a sort of science fictiony horror detective show in the sense that, um, and this is before this is before the splash. I'm not going to give too many details, but the way how it goes from the sleepover and the story to this harsh, harshly coloured um, interrogation room to boom, something is killing the children is it had me. It had me at that point, and I was like, "What the hell is this book about? I want to see more of it." Um, yeah, I mean, like for me, it it had like a an anime vibe. It it felt like a very um, a very anime story in that sense, like the kind of thing I would expect from watching episode one of an anime, or or something that came straight to DVD. You know, it it re- yeah, had that yeah. real that like yeah that that kind of that vibe about it, and it felt very animated when I was reading it, and it just it it was dark and expressionistic and laced with fear and sadness and sketch like, and just, I mean, I don't usually like things that are like overly dour, but this, this just like, it was dour in the right way, I guess is the, is the best way to put it. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't feel dour in, um, or like in a sort of grim dark way. It felt more like that sort of gray you get from like, uh, the beginning of like some sort of crime procedural but with that extra feeling of dread but i didn't really get like a, a depressive feeling am- amongst it despite some of the se- uh, pages and panels that happen it, it was more uh, a mystery that i got from it because the, the town doesn't seem uh like this uh either overly suburbial or just gray blocky place it, it 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 feels like what a place that is meant to be safe and sort of in the in the tradition of of like uh the horror going back for a while uh these ones where they especially to do with children as well when it's um say like it which is back in the zeitgeist now because of the uh the second part of the movie coming out um you have this thing of like this place is meant to be safe. This is where we go to school and work, but something is killing children. Um, and 
this is this is meant to be the park where your kids play. This is meant to be the school, but like something's out there killing children, and nobody knows what to do about it. I got I got more of that type of vibe where things are, things are going to hell and people are just coping as best as they can. Yeah, I mean, like this is this is something like there, there are some really cool character designs in this, and I really I really did enjoy the artwork. It's like this really loose lines, like and sketch like. Um, and really, expre- really expressionistic in 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 the way that it is. It's kind of feels painted and um, like you are viewing this come together on the page. Like you're actually seeing it kind of like fold together, like these these lines and stuff. And and maybe you are maybe you are seeing this through. Um, I know the eyes of a frightened child. I guess. Especially with like the way um, some of it is, and, and like with, with like you were saying with the blues and the blacks, with the darkness, and the way the way nighttime's illustrated in this book, and the way we see uh, when the creature is finally revealed, or at least this creature is finally revealed, because I get the impression that this badass protagonist that we've got here, this monster hunter, um, Erica Slaughter, she kind of like goes from town to town solving this problem on behalf of children around the country. Yeah, we do get that vibe, and it's funny because um, she's on the cover, or like uh, we get the profile of a blonde with a machete. But uh, I totally forgot about that because I was just into the book. So then, when a, a blonde badass uh, just walks out of uh, this uh, these woods, I was like, "Oh, cool!" Because <laughs> like her design's really cool, where she's like wearing like this sort of. It's not a bandana. What do they call it when you wear it over your face? Still a bandana, I think. I guess so. Yeah, and it's got like the teeth on it. Yeah. And she's uh, covered with blood sprays and stuff. What it gave me was like an um, R-rated I Kill Giants vibe. Yeah. Uh, Which is uh, kind of cool. uh, Because I would love love to see that story. And I think I'm going to see that story. Because I Kill Giants is awesome. And I, I like the idea of, uh, like, she grew up and she and she continued to kill giants. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it it's immersive and the pages just kind of like draw you in, and you really do get put in this world, and you really do like the feeling in the pit of my stomach that I get the dread because I, I actually felt dread reading this. I think that was what I was trying to describe to you. It's like, I, I, I want to retract what I said about Dower because it's not Dower, it's Dread, I think. I don't know, how do I... I dread? Dread? Yeah, yeah I'll go with that, Dread. That sounds about right. But yeah, I mean, like, it was... um, It, it was just fantastic for that and, and for, you know, for sewing that. And I think this is going to be a good one for reading at this time of year as well, around this kind of, like, lead up to Halloween. It's autumn. These are the kind of stories you want now. I mean, I want these stories all year round, but these are the kind of stories you want now, right? And um, it's just like it, it, the designs, uh, the design of the creature in this, and the designs of uh, straight out of the dark recesses of the imagination of your inner child. I think is the best way I can describe it. Um, because if I was going to be scared of some kind of shadow monster when I was a kid, if I was going to wake up in the middle of the night, for example, you know, when you wake up and you've got like a pile of something in the corner of your room when you're a kid and you turn that pile of something into something else entirely because your imagination is working overtime. (laughs) Like that is what 
this is like uh, that that is and, and the way it's described and the way it's done like the way this kid tells the story in the beginning of the book as well i mean that could easily i mean when he's telling the ghost story the, the the scary stories to his friends at the sleepover i mean that's easily something that i would have done as a kid anyway like looked out of the window and thought i saw something because i had that kind of imagination where i would turn shadows into ethereal beasts and whatever um and like waking up in the night and seeing things and seeing shadows and and then turning them into something else um in your mind's eye and then like when i see the pa- these pages and i see the monster design and i see the, the the play of the light and shadow and the way they do nighttime in this book like with the coloring and the, the um the way the artwork is anyway with its loose lines and a lot of lines uh this like painted quality that it has like almost like where it's painted and the brush goes dry at points and it's just kind of yeah yeah like that to me is exactly playing on that it's playing on that psychology of when you're a kid and you see a shadow and you make something out of the shadow and um yeah i mean like the other thing that i have to say about this as well is i i just want to point out that the thing I will say about Boom Single Issues right now is that they put some really good production into the actual physical copy. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but if you ever pick up a Boom Single Issue, like it's always got like a really nice like stock, uh, almost like well, almost stock card cover mm. on a lot of them, and you know it's always like a really nice quality print and everything else, and they just they just feel so much better <laughs> than than <laughs> other single issues do sometimes, and. I think the content matches a lot of the time as well, because, like, especially with this one, with something that's killing the child, I think this is great. Um, I'm into this, and I want to see more, and I want I yeah. want to see where this goes. Yeah, because I'll just shout I think that... Um, there are two things that I think are really cool in this, and I'll try to talk about them as vaguely as possible, is that there is a page where it is the... Uh, one of the lead characters, the uh, the guy who was telling the story, and he's talking with his principal, and there's just something so informal and irreverent about it. Because it, 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 it gave me a bit of Rick vibes, especially the way the characters look. Yeah. Where you had, it was Roundtree playing the principal and Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing the, uh, the sort of teenage gumshoe, and he was in like a uh, long coat and like similar type of colors and and glasses, if I remember correctly. Um, and yeah, it gave me those flashes, but and uh, but also just the way how he's just saying, "Oh, you should, uh, talking about how the matter should have been resolved, how the matter should have been resolved in a very unteachly way," because like he's fairly young and like he's having to deal with this strange phenomena that is happening in his town and you can you can tell it's uh wearing on him and I, I love that but it does give a deeper sense of how this affects the town itself because mm. a lot of these things sometimes we're so focused on the main characters we don't really get to step back and breathe and and see how this affects the community and see how yeah. everybody who who isn't privy to all the information that the lead characters uh, often are yeah. how they're reacting to everything. And I think that um, they do a good job with this um, in just in these opening page, um, 
pages of this first issue, I feel like they they do make things have a weight and have a cost that isn't mm. just the fact that uh, these kids have been killed, but also yeah. the uh, collateral damage from that. And there's like a cold detachment throughout the whole thing as well. I don't know if you if you picked up on that. Like um, everything, like uh, the the cold detachment that this the um, the protagonist has to have in order to do her job. Because I guess, I guess she can't get too attached to people and things like that, having to move around too much. And it just this this feeling, this like cold detachment through the whole thing, and then the cold colors that are used as well in the palette and everything else. Yeah, and I, I yeah. feel like she's seen stuff because yeah. I hadn't read the blurb before I read, so that blurb told me way more than I I even understood from her from this first issue. Yeah, because I'm sure they don't give a name, um, and I only picked up just the feel of what she, of her going from town to town oh just from spoilers her her design and her um and the the few sequences we have with yeah. her before she comes to this town but like i had no idea what the name was and stuff so i th- i think it's effective without uh that that knowledge anyway cuz i find this a lot with some comics where the preview chatter uh and blurb stuff is talking because they've read four issues or something like that. Mm. Uh, and some of the artwork, you'll be like, the cup, like the um, variant covers will include stuff. And you're like, what? What the hell is that? And you don't see that until like issue five. And um, I think here, going in blind worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, that works. Um, and I, I can, I kind of get that myself. So, I mean, Ray, do you have any thoughts on this one? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've got like things I can I I can drop in based on what you guys are saying. Like echoing a lot of what Leon said. Going back to the beginning, um, like that that cold open is one of the best cold open prologues I've seen in a comic for ages. Like it's a really confident start. And um, the thing you were saying about the the headmaster, like the the really great sensitive head teacher. Like there's something endearingly blunt about the conversation he has with the kid. Um, it's like he's clearly in over his head and not afraid to voice his emotions. And like. He's not quite yet learned the processes needed by somebody in his position. He's still he's like more emotionally overcome by what's happening, and he's you know trying to trying to deal with it the best he can, like you said. Um, the itself, like we haven't talked about the form of it very much. Like the thing I was feeling is how disorienting and dislocating it is. So, like we were talking about with the the cold open, like there's this dislocating cuts between two different scenes, and I like how the whole that whole opening is framed because um like if you look at it again uh you'll see that like it's you're like you're it's supposed to be in his parents house when his parents aren't around but like if you look at the size of the room and like this massive brick pillar in the middle of the room that makes no sense if you really think about it there's all these little touches that make it feel otherworldly and like sinister and then um and then as you go on, like, what else was I going to say? It's so, like the really disconcerting panel layouts, which switch between ordered chaos, where all the you know the panels align with each other quite neatly, but not formally, where some, you know, meet the edge of the page, but some don't, and some are separated by gutters, but some are butting against each other. And it switches between that ordered chaos to like really rigid six panel rectangles, which then further spill out into like widely buffeted stamps, like spread across the page. And it does all these, these interesting tricks to just, constantly keep you on your toes and i i really enjoyed that and then just generally the artwork i like how it devolves into this terrifyingly smeary violence um 
you know, it's, it's almost like it's pasted into these claustrophobic thin panels. Um, yeah, I'm quite taken with it. Like saying what you guys said, I think it's uh, it's a really strong number one, um, but it's hard to know where it's going. And again, like I say, with a lot of these issue ones, I think I want to see where where the rest of it takes it. I think I need more of it before I can make my mind up. Yeah, so that is Something is Killing the Children, and that is on Boom. So that's Boom Studios published that, and uh, your creative team on that one is written by James Tinian IV, illustrated by Werther Del Adra, uh, coloured by Mikhail Muerto, and lettered by Andwell Design. And um, yeah, you can pick that up, that's on shelves now, and uh, it is it is a great little comic and a great number one, as you guys have both said, and it is something that I would recommend, especially for this time of year. It's the kind of thing that you want to read at night at this time of year. And, um, yeah, so moving on from there, it is going to be... Uh, I just wanted to bring up a couple of things here that I picked up. So a couple of Marvel comics. Uh, I got Marvel Comics 1000 and I got Marvel Monsters number 1. Now, we'll start with Marvel Comics 1000. So... This is kind of like a celebration of 80 years of Marvel history. Like a lot of things that have been happening this year... Um, and it, it, it features, like, literally everyone. Like, each page is a single comic by a different creative team, and it's just a really good single-issue piece. Um, and there's some great single pages in here celebrating certain characters, specific milestones or markers along the Marvel timeline in Marvel history. And these are printed at the top corner of, like, each page. Like, you get, like, a little bit at the top of the page that will say, you know, a year and then whatever happened in that year that was big in marvel like a costume change for a character or something like that that kind of thing um and there's like a unifying tale that is woven in between this on several pages throughout and this is a um the secret of the eternity mask um which is on these pages with that and it's a fun read the eternity mask is is um supposedly this mask that is a piece of eternity himself or themselves from the marvel universe that puts anybody who wears it on equal footing with their opponent i think is the idea and uh, it's like this mask's journey through the marvel universe through time it through through the hands of several characters within the marvel universe and things like that um and some of my favorite artists and writers actually are featured in here and i'd recommend picking it up because it's a it's a total i mean like i say some of my favorite writers and artists i mean like everyone's favorite writers and artists are in this because i'm pretty sure like because the, the the creative team on this is absolutely huge like I, I can't read them all out it's just ridiculous like i think everybody who's ever colored a panel for marvel has, has got something to do with this book um but it's like um yeah everybody who's written colored drawn like a lot of people that have worked for like an awful lot of people that work for marvel have had something to do with this uh and um just give you some idea of the scale of it and like i i'd recommend picking it up because it's a complete party and it's it's like a like being in, it's like a birthday party that you're invited to like that's seriously how i describe it to you um you like walk into a room full of some of your favorite creators your favorite colorist your favorite artist your favorite writer your favorite letterer and like you just like they you know like you just pour a drink and just take in the mood and that that's kind of how it is and i have a few choice pages from this that i really enjoyed uh there's a page called the choice and uh this one is a silver surfer page 
And the creative team on this one is Charles Saul is the writer. Steve McNiven is the artist after Mobius. So he's he's doing this in Mobius' style. And uh, the letter is VC's Corey Petty. Um, and it's just a really cool little page. It's kind of like, a you know, the Silver Surfer, just, just like having a kind of like an existential thinking moment, basically. It's only a short little one-page one comic, but it's really great. Um, and I love the artwork in it and the way it's done. I, I love that it's it's modelled after Mobius um, as kind of like a tribute um, to some of the greatest Silver Surfer comics ever, like the the, uh, the Parable comics, uh, Silver Surfer Parable, which was Mobius and Stanley, which I think are some of the most celebrated Silver Surfer books. Um, other pages in here that I really enjoyed is called there's one called Armor Disassemble, which is an Iron Man page. And this one's really interesting. This one is uh, Chip Zdarsky and VC's Joe Caramagna. And it's Iron Man... It's... uh, How many panels? One, two, three, four... Sixteen panels. And um, it's like... Iron Man's mask coming off and underneath is the next mask. Like the evolution of Iron Man's armor. And the armor is, you know, you go through the armor each time the armor opens and there's the next mask underneath and that one opens. And you keep going till you get to Tony Stark's face and then Tony Stark's face just splits the same way his armor would and then it's just black. So um, it's kind of like a, just, a, just a an exercise in um, sequential art and a celebration of Iron Man in that way. And... I, I think it's great. I think it's a great celebration of the character. And I just love the way it goes through in stages. And you've got like this, this kind of like stages of the, the armor coming off and underneath revealing another piece. Kind of, kind of like a, a Russian doll, but it's Iron Man helmets, if that makes sense. Um, it's a really cool page. Uh, after that, there's one called The Farmer, which is a Galactus story. Um, that one uh, is Galactus talking about how he's more than just the destroyer of worlds is basically what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that he's actually, you know, he's actually doing some good. There's another one, uh, Little Blackagar in Slumberland, which is really nicely drawn, and that is about the Inhumans. Yeah, there's just some really cool content in here, and I just, yeah. Well, do you think that um, this book works for people who, say, coming off the movies, or just, like, never read uh, a Marvel book, and just see some of these heroes that they recognize i'd say so i'd say you could read it in that way i'd say you could pick it up and just go through it and just get like a kind of like a little primer or an idea on like uh you know who these guys are and whatever else because i think that's 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 what it's about right that's what it's mm. for it's a celebration of marvel and if you if you if you enjoy the marvel movies then come celebrate buy the book enjoy it you know um that's that's precisely what it's about. So yeah, it doesn't. You don't have to be a. You don't have to know everything about Marvel comics in order to pick this up and read it. I would say no, not at all. Uh, double goes for the next one I'm going to talk about, which is um, Marvel Monsters number one, which is basically just a um, single issue of. Is <clears throat> a little bit of a story in there, um, and basically, um, Kid Kaiju finds a book that is a reference book for most of the monsters in the marvel universe it's kind of like a recipe for how to create these things and 
and like their biology basically so you've got like the whole most the majority of this book is one page is a picture of the monster and the second page is a diagram of the monster done in the style of like an old kaiju reference book or kaiju reference comic or whatever with like the the japanese text and everything and then like uh the like the breakdown of the creature with like here's a diagram of the creature and this is what it looks like inside this is what his bones look like and whatever else um like a little bit about their powers their height their weight and stuff like that and there's just some really nice single page artwork in this and that that's primarily my reason for picking it up like there's some great there's a great james stokoe page with james stokoe gets to draw fing fang foom and it's absolutely fantastic i love it um and uh, there's just some other just fantastic stuff in here. I mean, I'll, Mike Allred does a page in here as well, and it's just great. But I mean, that's that's kind of like a a, a um, an accompaniment to Marvel Comics a thousand. If you get me, like I bought the two together, um, and they're just both a celebration of everything that Marvel has, and they're just great for that. Um, moving on from there. Uh, there was this thing that I got sent. Basically, I got sent a free trade. So I got sent an email um, by a guy called Joe Aubrey. And uh, it was about this thing that he was working on. And he asked me if I if if I wanted a, a free book. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And it's this thing that they were working on called Space Bastards. Now, this was a it's like a hardcover created by... Joe Aubrey and uh, Derek Robertson worked on it as well. Derek Robertson being the artist from The Boys and Transmetropolitan. He uh, did some he did some of the art for this and well the official blurb off the website. So uh, what's this book about? Cutthroat capitalism in space. Transporting packages between planets is hard. That is until Postmaster General Roy Sharpton invented the new free enterprise model for the Intergalactic Postal Service. The rules are simple. Whoever delivers the package gets the cash, and postal workers can use any means necessary to steal that package and deliver it themselves. The more times a package transfers hands, the more fees stack up. The tougher the delivery, the higher the reward. Do you work a job, or does your job work you? Has your so-called career made you dead inside? Well, the Intergalactic Postal Service wants you. Ex-convict, ex-real estate agent, total paranoid schizophrenic, it doesn't matter. Sure, this job is dangerous, but you'll be your own boss. Rake in the cash and feel truly alive again. So the idea of this is, um, it's this like hyper-violent uh, Intergalactic Postal Service where like, once a parcel is in play, you've got a bunch of these kind of like bounty hunter come postman types that are killing each other in order to deliver this parcel um now this uh, this first trade here like you say the arts by Derek robertson in the majority of it and um i can see what this thing's going for like i get these like uh, pretty heavy um like early vertigo old school like you know old 2000 ad and old school early vertigo influences like come out of this like these pretty heavy um it's hard it's hard not to notice that because that's kind of like what inspired it i mean you can see it it's it's hyper violent and i can see why this is going to be a lot of people's thing it carries the spirit of the comics that so clearly inspired it um i i thought it was fun I enjoyed, you know, I could see that it was kind of cool in an old school way, if that's your thing. I enjoyed um, reading it and it was a bit of a blast and a bit of a laugh and a bit of escapism. And, you know, it's fun. It's funny. It's It's got like this kind of like um, brash edge to it and everything else. Um, 
and it, it it would scratch that itch if you're looking for something along those lines. Like if you if you if you like your comics like The Boys and uh, two thousand, you like your old school two thousand eighty, your old school Vertigo, then this is for you. This is the this is the sort of like edgy, bullshit sci fi comic that you would go for and you would love. Um, now, yeah, this is a this is a Kickstarter thing, um, and from what I can tell, looking at the Kickstarter, it's been completely funded. So um, it's should be on its way like if you pre-order it um i think the estimated delivery is october 2019 um so should be out in around october if you pre-order it and you sign if you sign up on the website and uh when the pre-orders are available they let you know and then if you pre-order it um you should be receiving it around october i believe looking at this um and um it's quite nice production on the hardcover as well it's it's not a bad book like the pages are are like almost card so it's like these really nice thick pages it's like really good quality um and uh yeah so the idea is that you sign up and you get the four quarterly books um and uh it's not just uh, I mean, like, there's there's other artists on here that have worked on it that work on that have worked on other stuff like uh, big names like Simon Beasley, who you'd know from Lobo, Hellblazer, the heavy metal stuff, uh, Colin McNeil, Clint Langley, Boo Cook. So all these guys that you'll know from comics that have clearly inspired this book anyway. So you know, like the Judge Dreads, the Trans Metropolitans, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, that's just like. It's it's just a pretty cool thing to have if that's what you're into if you if you like these uh, these old kind of like nineties vertigo-y type stuff then this is your thing um, and yeah I you just sign up to the website I think you get access to a social media site as well which is also kind of like a game where you can protect you can be one of the postal service and you can steal packages from each other and things like that and uh, you can earn credits and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just a bit of fun, bit of sci-fi escapism for you. And uh, yeah, it in I can I can see its virtues, and and I can say that it is kind of cool in that kind of old school way. I mean, it wasn't one hundred percent my jam because things like this um, for me. I mean, yes, I I enjoy this kind of stuff, but at the same time, sometimes it can be pretty hit and miss. But I mean, if you are into your hard hit, your, your hard sci-fi stuff, your your gritty comics then you gritty sci-fi comics then i guess this is 100 percent for you um i i like my gritty sci-fi but um i don't know this just didn't totally scratch the itch for me but that's just me i think that's my personal opinion um kind of reminded me a little bit of another comic we've talked about on here actually leon uh sharky the bounty hunter you you were i think you read that as well didn't you did you read this one because uh... i know i talked about it on a previous episode and i can't remember if if we both read it yeah, I I don't have memory of it. It's the Mark Miller one with the purple dude. I called him uh, Thanos Kilman stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't believe I yeah. read that. Yeah, it's is the episode's called Thanos Kilminster actually. I think as well, but yeah, um, maybe maybe I'm wrong then. But I yeah, Sharky the Bounty. It's that kind of vibe that I got from it. Um, and it's yeah, it's that kind of thing, and it's 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 uh, it's pretty cool, and it'd be worth it's it's worth a look if that's your thing. Yeah. So that is Space Bastards, and um, if I can get you the full team for this, because it's quite a... So it's uh, Eric Peterson and Joe Aubrey written it, and um, Derek Robinson has done 
art on it. You've got Colin McNeil, Clint Langley, Simon Beasley, Boo Cook. It's a whole list of people worked on this thing. Because uh, I think I think they do like a... So you've got like the main story and then each time it's like the writer's working with a different artist. Uh, that's the idea I get from it. And there's also some one shots woven in throughout. So Really? Yeah. Sounds meaty. Yeah. So it's um it's pretty good. I mean the first book that I've got is 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 a pretty it's a pretty fat trade. It's a hardback, it's big. Um and uh it's a pretty it's a pretty hefty trade. So there's a lot of material in it and that's just the first book. Um and a funny story actually because this is actually um a book about an intergalactic postal service. Well, I can only imagine what happened to this book on its way to me because <laughs> um I I was like you know I replied to the guys I'm like yeah sure send me one um I'll I'll, get, I'll, I'll read it and and see what I, and so um Joe Aubrey then um he he must he he must have posted it but then like set, uh, replied to me um asking if I'd received it yet and I said no and then this went on for a f- couple of weeks like Joe Aubrey just been like have you received it no have you received it no like maybe almost a month actually and then all of a sudden package received uh <laughs> it arrived it, 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 like eventually and i think i think it might have got lost in the post on the way but it, it just it just struck me it's kind of ironic that it's a story about the postal service or an intergalactic postal service and then the postal service being the postal service it's an kind ARG. Of fucked it I'm up living. yeah yeah basically i lived i lived it yeah i mean i wonder how many postmen killed each other to get it to me and and how much um Joe Aubrey got charged in the end for sending that, you know? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> but yeah, there we go. So, that is Space Bastards. And you can go to spacebastards.com to find out more, which is the official website. Um, there's also the Kickstarter, so if you, you can find it on the Kickstarter site and you can have a look at some of the rewards that are no longer available looking at this. I don't think you can pledge any more money to it because I think it made its goal. But... Um, there's like a like a trailer video on there and stuff and yeah more information available there and i believe october is what you're looking at for um to receive the book so yeah you'd be looking at october 2019 but yeah that is space bastards and that is a volume one and i i was sent a hardcover of it and yeah it was it's it's pretty nice hardcover so it's worth it if you like your uh your old kind of like vertigo type stuff that kind of stuff that's 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 pretty much what it is and some of the art in it's really nice actually i mean like there's some there's some art by some of the other guest artists on there that is it's like it's really cool and it's really expressive and it's really like um of it's it's really of that time and it's it's really like looking at a time capsule actually um and it's interesting that something it's nice to see that that spirit is you know the the spirit of those comics continues and people make things like that still for i mean i guess in a nostalgic kind of way for me like having like remembering when i would look at comics like the like preacher and whatever on the shelves and think oh you know those are kind of cool when i was younger seeing them on the shelves and things as a teenager and whatever and then it's kind of like nostalgic for me to see that things like this are still getting made i guess in in the style of or in the uh in the the i haven't got the word for it right now i haven't got a lot of words this evening including the credits for a page <laughs> called the farmer in uh, <laughs> the marvel comics 1000 
which I'm not going to let myself live down, and you guys shouldn't let me live it down either. Um, I think you've just been sucked into some horrific uh, side dimension. Yeah, that's how it feels. Um, but yeah, um, so that leads us up nicely to... Everything, were we not? I thought we already had talked about everything, Leon. Did we? Well, we talked about everything else. No, yeah. So there's a comic called Everything that I read, which is a uh, Burger Book's title. Um, and it's, uh, well, where do where I start, do start with this? Yeah, where do I start <laughs> with this? Yeah. I think, Greg, what is this comic about? <laughs> like, just tell us, tell us, because I'm super lost. This comic well, is g- about... Give the dirty pitch. Give the dirty pitch. I will give you the dirty pitch. And uh, when I say the dirty pitch... I mean, I'm giving you the uh, the blurb like I do. Everything is a gleaming new mega department store which arrives to extraordinary thrill and rapidly escalates to inexplicable mania in the small town of Holland, Michigan. When random hellish fires and unshakable psychic disturbances start to overtake the community, a few like depressive out of towner, a few like depressive out of towner Laurie, and a suspicious local named Rick begin to suspect everything in its catalogue perfect manager Shirley. Who or what exactly is in charge here, and what insidious plans are in store? From Christopher Cantwell, acclaimed writer of She Could Fly and co-creator of AMC's Halt and Catch Fire, celebrated artist INJ Culbard, the new Dead Wardians, and Brink, comes a new monthly ongoing series. Everything is a truly bizarre story about the most horrifying pursuit of happiness you've ever read. So, I mean, like, even from the beginning, like, as soon as you look at the front cover, it's... It has this kind of, like, insidious... um, 1940s, circa 1950s like advertising thing going on like that's the aesthetic like you look at it and you feel like you are looking at a poster advertising a vacuum cleaner or something from the 50s that's exactly what i get from it straight away and um what i can say this book is actually about it is about demonic capitalism (laughs) demonic consumerism and demonic capitalism yeah so capitalism basically yeah i mean let's let's drop the demonic bit because capitalism is capitalism and we already know um but yeah i mean like um it's this wonderful retro style art that feels like a veneer over some kind of hideous truth and it does actually work perfect for the subject matter here and there's something really insidious and something really weird going on in the background of this mall and and like, there's something really ice cream man about the whole thing, which I think is what drew me in more than anything else. The fact that it has that kind of, um, that, uh, par- uh well, I want to say parasite below the surface, but what I'm really talking about, what I'm really thinking about is if you've got, like, y- you're, you've got something under your skin and it's just itchy and you keep scratching and scratching and scratching and then maybe some bugs crawl out, like, that kind of, like, I don't know, like, that's that's how I feel reading this. That's what I feel like I'm looking at. I feel like if I if I touch the pages too much, ants are going to come out or something. You know, like, that's, like, this kind of, like, thin veneer, like, pasting over something truly horrific and writhing and roiling underneath. And that's, I think, is the impression they're trying to give. Like, they're... they're drawing you in with the promise of all these perfect products and and these things that are going to make your life better and whatever else but at the end it's it's all maybe they'll have your soul or something 
I guess is the idea I'm getting. It's kind of like in a, you know, like um, in the tradition of things like they live, maybe. So it's that sort of vibe going on. See, I don't I know. Didn't really get that sense of like the itchy, seedy underbelly thing. I got more of a like um, a moodily lonely sort of distressingly cryptic Tarsum Singh movie by way of seventies consumerism, where it's channeling like. The, the the loneliest you've ever felt watching QVC at 3am because you can't go to sleep and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> Maybe there's you know, a bit like, of that in there. Yeah, and I, I think that's the I got from it. This, like, this, this crushing weight of it promising you everything but there being nothing there for you. I don't have like that itchy insect feeling that I get from Ice Cream Man because there's not as much um, like overt um, like Cthulhu sort of like insecty vibe from it i it's interesting that you got that from this because i got something very different which is just sad and lonely more than anything else especially with this yeah. opening where it focuses on this woman who seemingly is giving um like cpr to somebody uh and then sort of i think goes into a fugue state and we see her at various stages later on in her life like doing other things and it's i didn't spend enough time piecing together all the the puzzle pieces but there's there's something like very holistic about the i don't know just the drama that's unfolding and i don't feel like they've given us the full picture yet but uh, i'm really i'm really drawn into like the mysterious vibe of this piece no i i like the the thing i was getting from it, it it's hard for me to i've been trying to put this into words like all fucking day um so Yes, it has a lot of the Ice Cream Man thing going on, a lot of the Ice Cream Man vibe, like the seedy um, underbelly, the, the itchy thing below the surface of suburbia, like the, the, the darkness and the mold and the the tainted whatever beneath the veneer that everything and everyone puts on, like the shiny smile that you'll see, the advertising and whatever else. But it's also the fact that like this new mall is here and the whole town is worshipping this thing. And they're all queuing up and they're all fighting and they can't wait. Well, not well, they're fighting to get inside. They can't wait to get inside and start buying. They just want to buy stuff. And it just feels like some kind of like from for the for that, I'm getting like some kind of false profit vibe. Like, you know, like this kind of like thing where it, it, it something is being promised to these guys and, and it's like, but we want your soul in return, you know. And that's that's where i'm at with that and it's it's like she this 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 new thing has appeared and possibly appeared overnight and it's opening on the fringe of the town and it's got the whole town in its thrall already and it's like they're just feeding off the town slowly like i can imagine like we, we're probably going to see this 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 whatever this thing is is going to be feeding off these people it's going to be feeding on their souls it's going to be feeding on their consumerism and and using them to nourish itself maybe i don't know maybe the mall is alive maybe the mall is the living thing maybe the mall came to this town under the guise of a mall like a kind of a um a mimic you know, like a mimic in D&D terms where it pretends to be a chest and it lures you mm. in with the promise of treasure and then bites your fucking face off or whatever. Like that that kind of thing. Um, and it's like the, this whole like consumerist ideal of the 50s and whatever that it's designed after. And that's the artwork as well. It has that about it. Like it really does. Um, and also this, this, this the idea throughout the book of 
pushing the ideal and selling the dream, which I always thought was something super insidious and super weird. Like if you've ever worked in, in retail, in sales, right? And one of the things they'll teach you is to sell somebody the picture. Or, 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 or paint the picture for them. Be like, so you're sitting at home and you've got your brand new TV that you want to buy from me today. And, and you know, the kids are sitting around watching the films on the brand new TV that you're going to buy from me today. You know, you, you give it that kind of like, you, you paint the picture. You paint them in the picture with, look, look how better this is. Look how much better this is going to make your life. You know, like you, like you are taught to sell people on the dream by painting a picture and I, I feel like that's like fucking intrusive like we know what you want and I feel like that this is what this book is getting at as well like the the weirdness of walking into a shop and having someone stand in front of you with a false as fuck cheesy grin and and try to sell you something like when they're when they're trying to to sell you a product and it's almost like they're trying to reach inside your mind and put a picture there of you enjoying your life with this product. And I've always thought that's a little bit weird and a little bit creepy when I thought about it in that way. And even when I was been when I've worked in in retail and I've been taught this as a sales technique to like, you know, to try and get people to buy things, I, I this is a little bit creepy to try and like I don't know if you guys have the same thoughts as me or if i'm just crazy and destined to die as a, as a hobo or something no i've been on both sides of it and it is yeah. creepy yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I mean, i'm still i'm i'm really not getting that same like i i think i'm beating you halfway because I, I don't really have the hidden undergrowth thing but that's sort of the sinister promise that's being sold to you i definitely get from this like i i felt more of a like a matter of fact magical realism in that murakami sense where everything's like really there on the face of it i feel like there isn't much hiding underneath beyond the fact that this is this is the world it's presented this is exactly what they're selling you and they're not trying to hide any of it it's like right there in big bright red letters and it's that's creepy in its own way that's the that's the way that i interpreted it no but it's like you need this 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 over and over again in the back of your head maybe and like even even parts of the book like there's a page where it, it does like what i call the bad music thing the ice cream man does um and like it's a split of panels and it's like this 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 woman from the opening of the book she kind of pulls up outside the mall and then she has this this kind of experience where this thing gets in her head and there's this uh, uh, there's music but uh, and it's all red and blue and there's music and it's just like there's a great set of panels yeah and it, it especially just... the, the page before it where like yeah. you see her drive up to the the mall and yeah. you see like the red slogan of everything presented in different ways from different yeah. points of view just surrounding her like it zooms in and out yeah. and reflected in her car window and reflected in her glasses like, and just like spread across the top in yeah. reverse lettering and stuff. like the yeah. hum of the neon from the sign mm. of the mall is a specific frequency like a trance designed yeah. to get you to buy a Dyson vacuum cleaner. See, it's funny because <laughs> I know that this is obviously part of the main theme, part of the main story, and it's centered around that. But that's not what really resonated with me with this issue. Um, what got me was all the fringe stuff around it. 
Yeah. So, so all yeah. all the stuff to do with all the different characters and their different routines, it has that classic ensemble setup mm. where we're uh, introduced to a bunch of characters in media res just going about their life. We're not really given any true contextual backstory to them apart from a couple, uh, couple panels with the uh, the woman who uh, we were just talking about. But otherwise, it's it's darted all around town. And then these characters interact at various different stages throughout. Um, so one, I love that stuff anyway, because I, I love mm-hmm. where uh, we have disparate characters um, meeting up and connecting in different ways uh, in different places, because it makes the place feel living and breathing. But also... Uh, I found that stuff to be quite compelling. Like when the the two managers meet and uh, they have that sort of weird meeting in, in, in the middle of all of it where he's uh, the uh, city manager and he's like taking things in and uh, Shirley, the store manager who we've seen uh, uh, throughout the book, who is almost this scary automaton-esque character who you can just imagine her step sort of... store managers <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like a charming but dead dead voice like there's a lot of the panels she she oh, yeah. a lot of uh she has this sort of dead behind the eyes look but not in a in, in a in a terrifying way if you're looking for it but in a way that is just this blank state of um of of, of chair and charm and hey how are you doing um Blah, blah, blah. Do you want to come in and take a no. look type thing? Do you know what I've got to do now? I've got to write a fanfic that ends in a lady in the tramp scene with her and the ice cream man. And instead of a piece of spaghetti, it's a fucking millipede or something. A millipede? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, Shirley and Rick from Ice Cream Man, like, they... You know what? I, I reckon, I reckon they, they, they are actually inhabiting the same world. And I reckon she comes home from work and, and like her and Rick are a married couple or some shit in hell I could, or wherever it's, it's definitely a thing it's like a, that's your your Greg uh, headcanon <laughs> I, sh- I ship like it a, I ship a it comic universe <laughs> but yeah, like she just has this uh, blank stare charm and I really love the uh, the sort of conversation and then she ends it where he's like um, talking about his bug problem and she's like probably because you're so sweet. And I remember reading that and thinking like, ooh. And then it's great how it It, it, it comes back come later back on. Later on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it comes back in a, in a great way where he remembers it. And there's almost like this, um, not just like, oh, hey, there's more just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very like anime set of panels. And the, the, the way they do the callback is that like, it's like a close-up on her mouth as she's saying it again, like, Probably because you're so sweet, and it's like ding. It's very anime mangaus. Uh, well, like, yeah, like there's a panel, whole panel like, devoted to him enjoying that sentence. So, <laughs> but it's not. It's not even enjoying. It's, it's like it's one of those weird things where like something's stuck in your head. It's not like a yeah. reliving something for fun. It's like something stuck in your head, and uh, it's one of those like <laughs> passive obsessions where yeah, yeah. it's just this ringing bell in your head. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it conveys that really well. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought those things like uh, say that the sequence in the in the park uh, with the fire, or like the um, the uh, stereo 
salesman guy mm. and him popping up. There's this unsettling edge, and um, I hate to make the comparison because it's always used lazily, and this one is very um, tangential. But there's like a, a Twin Peaks season three type feel in terms mm. of the ancillary characters around the town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how they're going about their emotions. Oh, totally. And how, totally. how they're interacting, but yeah. how sort of the main thrust and core of what's going on, they are like bit players or they're sort of um, in the stream being pulled along, but they're mm. still doing their things. Like, no spoilers for this, but there's a storyline involving like uh, the golden shovels. And I, that gave me a big, a big vibe in this book. Yeah, yeah, the golden yeah, it's that, like like you said, automaton. It feels like everything, everybody's sort of working on on clockwork, and you're just waiting for them all to like click into place. Yeah, definitely, most definitely. And uh, there's an ad at the very back, um, which is basically like a, a job adver- advertisement, like now hiring clerks, customer service, custodial, warehouse, and security. It's a bunch of people in the everything uniform jumping in the air and they're in the sky. It's like no experience necessary. Great wages, fun work. Be a part of everything. Be a part of us. And uh, I've seen that advert many times <laughs> when I've been looking for work and stuff. And it just, yeah, it, it's it just hits the nail on the head for me with that kind of stuff. Like this is, I mean, even the first few pages of the book are basically a catalog, aren't they? The first page even. So you get the first page is basically a catalog. Like something out of a catalog. Like just like a, a fishing reel and something to do with slacks and mm. <laughs> a couple wearing some very stylish looking clothes. And it's just, yeah. Like an advert for everything. Like an advert for them all. What is it about malls that uh, people are obsessed with them again? Like well... If- it's... People who are their formative years when they're eighties, it feels uh, having this nostalgia, but it's from the thing of like, yeah, it, it was this scary, evil place, wasn't it? Well, I, I think it's more like, um... I mean, we're... a there's the nostalgia, like you say, like we're coming back around to this stuff again. We're starting to revisit things that we enjoyed back in the eighties and the early nineties and whatever, um. We're, you know, this is like a thing that's back in vogue again now. These kind of stories are coming back around. People look for this stuff, don't they? They go looking for, but also, um, and and I enjoy these stories. You know, I enjoy these these kind this this style of horror and these these types of things. But also the fact that the mall is just has always and always will be an insidious thing. It's it's just a a a a huge lump, like a, a um. something that just just a growth isn't it it's like a huge a huge thing that just appears like maybe just out of town like in leicester we have we don't necessarily have a mall just outside of town but we have foss park shopping center and it kind of draws everyone to it like like it it has as you've uh made motions to early it has this like religious quality like yeah temple that it is people go to regularly to uh uh, to commune in some way or, or yeah. to um uh to better themselves but yeah. through consumerism and you have a it's ritual also, um, associated with it don't you like the ritual is you go to the the shopping center or you go to the mall like and you 
you go there on a Saturday and you might not even buy anything. It's like you're almost just going just to pay homage to it. Kind of thing. So, yeah, it does have this scary religious quality. And we are almost worshipping consumerism by going there. Like, the church of consumerism. Like, I, I mentioned that when I talked about the comic Them All, when we talked about this a few episodes ago. But what were you going to say, Ray? Sorry, I interrupted you. Hmm, I know, I was going to say that it's like this this renaissance with, um, like, bringing up malls in popular media now. I think because back in the 80s, if you needed to be sold in the, the, the concept of, like, joyful consumerism to begin with, it was like a multi-tiered sales pitch, like... If you wanted to buy the things, you had to be sold on the idea of going to the mall anyway. So they had to be sold on this vibe of like going there and enjoying the entire experience, which I think is a very American thing. I don't know if I necessarily felt it myself growing up, but I think that's why it's coming back now because everyone's sort of pushing it back against that ideal. Mm. And I don't know. Plus, there's something about this 70s, 80s aesthetic with with like this this clothing and these relaxing slacks and that whole lettering, which is... I don't know, like you said, if you're being sold it on a constant basis, you end up internalizing it. And uh, there's just something sinister about it. What was I, uh, uh, like, um, like repeating a mantra mm. over and over again? And then, like, I guess if you, yeah. So, so it, almost like it becomes like a mantra, doesn't it? And then it becomes a thing and... I don't know where I'm going. I know where I'm going with that thought, but none of you guys do, so I'll just end it there. Because I'm just well, it's like a thing where the ad is sort of a, a yeah. call to prayer, and yeah. it's um, uh, especially back then. And as Rahul's saying, um, its importance in like American society uh, because it, yeah, it feels uh, sort of, not the heart. But like the the central nervous system, maybe of like mm. uh, a town's consciousness, um, and I think that, like like I say, with a lot of these number ones, this is a number one where the hook and stuff is great. But uh, even like I did with Twin Peaks season three, I let episodes build up before I start started it, and this is a classic where I would like a few issues afterwards mm. to continue. Um, not because I feel like, I don't know, left in the dark or something like that, but more because I feel like I've got, like, I feel like this is another one where a blurb will tell me more about the story um, than the first issue does. And I want to spend some time there uh, more than the first issue. I'd like to spend three to four yeah. issues soaking up what, mm. what the what the book is delivering. Mm. I mean, like, I'm impatient, so I bought this as a single issue, but kind of wish I hadn't, and I just bought it as a trade. I mean, I'd be happy if it never goes into any of the backstory. I just want more of this mood, but I want a whole book of it. Yeah, yeah, because I think this is, uh, like, in terms of the Ace Comicals team, uh, like, me and Rahul, a team, we don't need to n- know how it's happening. And yeah, let Greg the mystery is, be, yeah, right? Greg is team, I need to know the nuts and bolts. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy if it's just twelve issues of, like, like I was saying, Twin Peaks season three, uh, like twelve issues of uh, the Moor and Scary Stepford uh, Lady just uh, imploding the town and, and everybody uh, going going nuts. Twelve issues of Dougie Jones staring at a wall. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, I mean, I I want um, I want to I want to know 
what it is about this mall that makes it so like I want to I want to see like the weird ancient evil behind all this because I'm assuming there's a weird ancient evil behind it whether it's an extraterrestrial ancient evil or an ancient evil from deep 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 below or you know some 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 other plane of existence some alternate dimension something that feeds on a specific part of the human psyche or something that feeds on a specific um feeling or something you know yeah well i'm whereas i'm hoping it's more abstract like i don't want to see some 12-eyed alien or something or like this uh, multi-tentacled monster just because i think that there's billions of things that we have yeah with that oh, no, and yeah when we get to that stage where it's like oh it's this space demon who's warping everyone's minds from twelve thousand years ago things kind of lose me a bit because like if the if the mystery and the 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 journey these characters go on if, if their minds are being turned inside out uh, i want it to be i want the horror and evil to be like supernatural but like internal supernatural yeah I, I, yeah i don't want like some demon to come on screen and start yeah. talking see i'm not i'm not getting at a demon or a, a you know like a, a twelve thousand year old space um Slug space or entity or something yeah <laughs> what i'm what i'm getting at is is something a little bit more abstract actually and that's what i was going for like the abstract like idea God or something of of some yeah a force that manifests itself as the pinnacle of desire and feeds on people's feeds on your your contentment or feeds on yeah like like something like that that is like some kind of like uh some some kind of force that has always been and always will be some abstract idea like god or or demon or otherworldly being or or something from another plane of existence maybe that kind of thing hmm um yeah i mean i I like it. Um, do you not yeah, think it's got it's a little bit of Stephen King about it as well? I mean, what doesn't? Yeah. And also, if you look at the, the quote by Christopher Cantwell at the very end, it does say, what if the Everything Store was the Overlook Hotel and what if you had The Shining? Like, yes. Yeah. That's, that's the premise. Yeah. So there we go. So that is everything about a comic called Everything. Your full creative team for everything is uh, Christopher Campbell is your writer. INJ Colbard is your artist. Uh, Steve Wands is your letterer. It's uh, Burger Books, which is Dark Horse. So give it a look. I fully recommend it. I mean, the artwork in there is gorgeous for starters. And if you like Ice Cream Man, you'll enjoy this. And obviously, I, you know, I think this is going to be something that I'm going to Maybe, I mean, maybe it's not as, um, as, because Ice Cream Man kind of has this anthology feel about it, and maybe this isn't going to have that. I, I can feel that this isn't going to have that, but it's it's going to be, I think, in the same kind of category for me as Ice Cream Man as it goes on. And, uh, yeah, I'm really into this. So, um, final comic on the list then, guys. I guess that is now time for American Born Chinese. Yes, American Born Chinese, which is the Eisner award-winning comic that was uh, had the uh, writing and art done by Jean Luen Yang and the colours done by Lark Pian. And it was published on First Second Books. So the rough, rough, dirty 
synopsis of this book is it's a triptych style story with one part focusing on the fabled Monkey King from the Journey to the West fable. Uh, Another part focuses on uh, the coming of age of a first-generation Chinese-American middle schooler named Jin Wang. And the last part, or the third part, uh, focuses on a white American teen named Danny, whose walking, talking, stereotype Chinese cousin, Chin Ki, comes to visit and embarrasses him at school, but in life in general. Uh, And, and like, top level, uh, so this book came out in 2006. And it was a book that I, uh, like a graphic novel I'd hear about for years and years and years, and it was on my list forever. And then I read it uh, way back when, and it's it's been a book that I wanted to talk about on the cast for a while. But then rereading it, uh, uh, well, in the run-up to doing this episode, I was, like, uh, worried because I was like, oh, yeah, like, that came out last decade. <laughs> like, I don't know how this how this will hold up at all. But um, what's shocking reading it um, and sad in ways is that uh, it captures mundane, everyday racism, uh, the craving of assimilation for, uh, like, minorities, um, uh, the self-loathing that comes with that, and the survival that it comes with uh, being being one of a few. And it's uh, it's sadly very... Uh, like, it still rings true, and... Uh, it's it's still something that hasn't like hasn't aged badly because it's still a, a big reality in terms of uh, how people relate to general general uh, Western culture and a lot of things that come with it. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's a there's a lot of cool uh, and like interesting ideas that are, are brought up here, and uh, just the over arching theme um, and the way the stories uh, work as part of a like same theme which is this this idea of uh, like self-acceptance and um, being um, being content with uh, your history uh, and your heritage um, but it's not this thing of shunning the uh, the new the outside world type thing, but it's about trying to uh, hold on to your identity um, even when it's trying to be uh, uh, squashed away from you. I mean, uh, Rahul, you read this one. What did uh, you think? I did. I, I really loved this. One of the the questions I wanted to ask was, um, I don't know if you guys have this, but whenever something comes out in popular media um, that isn't either white American or white English. Um, Asians, my type of Asians, Indians, onto it. So stuff like Crazy Rich Asians, every Indian family that I know loved it. Like my parents loved it because anything that is expressing a different way of living life uh, than just the way that American or English media presents to you is something we can latch onto, even if it's not, you know, there's not 100% overlap. Obviously, there won't be, you know, in the cultures that are presented. The mere fact that it's different is something you can hold on to. So stuff like Fresh Off the Boat, stuff like this book, stuff like Crazy Rich Asians, stuff like um, One Day at a Time. 
there's always something really resonant about it. And I really mm. felt that with this book, because there's so many things that, um, like in Jin Wang's story, that even though it's not part of my heritage, not part of my culture, I can feel an overlap in the same sense of like, the same sense of self-loathing and the same sense of feeling othered and feeling lonely because of what you have in your history and wanting to run away from it, but also reaching a point where you kind of want to embrace it, but also feel like it's too late because you've let go of it too too much too early, all of that kind of stuff. I don't know if you guys have those kind of experiences with these kind of stories. Oh, d- definitely. I mean, it's part of the reason uh, I picked this book. Uh, my my own uh, history of stuff that is that I'm not uh, you don't really I don't really have the sort of first gen immigrant experience even though uh, my dad wasn't born here mm-hmm. but um, it uh, it's it's a it's a very like so my uh, coming of age is very different from this character because uh, I was not othered in the same sort of way but there's so many similarities in terms of the uh internal dread and the um just the the mess of trying to survive with that and it's 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 odd because i think a lot of my touchstones which are like uh connected with this book uh because i grew up in like southeast london it wasn't a case where i was the only uh like I, it wasn't even the case that I was the only uh, like black guy of uh, like West Indian descent because there was loads. Mm-hmm. But um, it, like to narrow it even to, down to that degree, there was loads. But it, it was more a thing that I experienced more when I uh, ended up in more uh, predominantly white spaces, like when I went to a different sixth form college from everybody, and then eventually uh, like university. And um, it's weird because I was obviously older than the character here, but there's a lot of the like same compulsions, even though the the details are very different. Mm. Um, but yeah, going back to your 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 thing about uh, latching on to uh, media that is um, different from what we're uh, what we're always delivered, uh, definitely. Um, like since. Uh, quite uh like a young age there, there's always uh when i would uh, see something that was different and featured like predominantly people but from somewhere else like and often it was asia often it was uh, uh japanese chinese media mm. um for the most part but then it extended to around the world to uh, brazilian media to indian media and and beyond that um there, there is. Is it like I think you like you said secondhand enjoyment type thing where you, you're getting to see uh, a culture that's not yours, but also not the same culture that's been imposed on you, uh, and you're you're seeing how other people. For me, it's the case of like seeing how other people navigate the rat race in a way sense of relief knowing that other minorities go through the same thing and if anything that makes you the majority there's something really comforting about that and Mm. the thing with this book in particular um i think is because compared to a lot of other media where you're just again secondhand enjoying the way that other people live and and feeling a connection to it this book in particular has some really strong overt and also subtle themes 
that are woven into the book and it's trying to send a real uh, message i think um and first and foremost being uh you can become anything you want if you forfeit your soul i think that's the most overt message delivered right at the start of this book um and i'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that uh, me or Greg? I, well, either of you. I was I was talking to you. Primarily. Well, I was gonna I was gonna chime in about what you were saying earlier in the fact that I can't really speak from the same place as you guys. Like I I haven't had any of those experiences because I'm I'm a white guy living in England. You know, like I books like this are usually more of a learning moment for me. Yeah, so, so what, what what kind of yeah. things did you did you get from this experience? Well, what did it's you just into it? it's just like I could I could read a book like this and and I can read a story like this and it's kind of like a um for me it's a learning moment and it it just helps with my awareness of how it is to grow up um as part of another culture in western society or something like that and and how um how sometimes, like, maybe I've been insensitive without even realizing it. Um, and things, and, and that, that kind of, that kind of thing, like, it, it just, it just helps with my, it, it helps with my awareness and it just helps me to understand what it's like. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I usually get from it. And that, that's exactly what I got from this. I got, I got like an understanding and a, awareness of what it's like to to experience that and to because i and i've had i i have had friends growing up from other cultures and friends like from you know families that have come from other parts of the world and things like that like first generation like kids of immigrants and things like that and i've had i've had friends like that and i um i i've always been there like on the, from the outside watching the way that they've dealt with things and and and, and mm. like seeing what they've experienced in terms of racism and everything else like hearing people call them things and things like that mm. and i've always felt but but i've never really like seen it through their eyes and i think that's what this comic helps me to do like things like this is, it just helps me with my awareness a bit and helps me understand yeah like i think the way it's set out is really good because it's not a book written to be a sort of preachy text. Instead, it's written from a viewpoint of experience and truth. And I think that's what makes it universally empathetic uh, to begin with. But then the readers can also bring their own uh, experiences to it, uh, as well as the knowledge you know of like day to day and i think that the the structure it uses where it's these three different types of story one's like a fantasy mythic story one's like a very uh, ev- uh like down to earth everyday coming of age tale um and and the other one is this bizarre uh, nightmare hellscape uh, where you're inside a sitcom <laughs> mm. and uh, the way it, it has the uh, the cat laughter at the bottom of each of those panels is um, is superb and like I, I, want, I want to dig into each of the stories a bit a bit more but like um, there's some 
like panels or pages here which are uh uh really brutal um when and like re- and really resonant so like in the story with the the common of age story so you have Jin who's ostensibly our uh lead character and he is uh like he starts off as like the new guy to school. They move to uh, San Francisco, and he's like um, one. Uh, it's it's like him, and then there's um, a Japanese girl, Susie, and there's just brutal parts there where he's there, and he's like, "Oh, there's another Asian." It's like I don't want to be singled out, and it's like uh, I can't remember the exact line because um, I'm nowhere near the page on, but like uh, it's something like uh, I. Oh, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'll never talk to it. Like, I want to stay completely away from it because, like, mm. it it's that thing. It's like I don't, I don't. When we're together, we're more visible, more visibly different. And it's like I don't want to be the uh, the person who gets all the all the typical like racist jokes coming at me. It's like I just want to, I want to assimilate. I want to be just gin, or I want to be invisible. And it's really brutal because, like, when what you can see there is like an ally straight away, mm-hmm. which I think like as an adult, you do like you walk into a room and you're like, uh, if it's a, it's a, if, it, if it's a setting where you just don't feel comfortable and, and you feel sort of not either impostery or like I'm out of my depth there, but then you see uh, someone else um, who is similar to you in, in, in some way, then it's your icebreaker. Even if you don't talk to that person, because it's like, okay, I'm not alone here type thing. And I think it's that's a hard thing to understand. But I think if you dial it back out of, uh, like, ethnicity, it's easier to understand. Uh, like, uh, if, for instance, it's not crazy uh, for me to hear if someone is, like, like a, a woman and is stuck around loads of uh, male-only spaces and then sees another woman, like... I think that you're going to have, uh, even if it's superficial, uh, some sort of connection there where you're not the only one and you're, there's a, a high chance that you're having similar experiences and that's a bondable moment. And especially in the war zone, which is like school, and they're like in middle school, so not even in high school yet, it, it, it's, uh, it's a saddening moment. But um, like the way they progress that through that storyline, so... Uh, like a, a Taiwanese uh, student who is um, sh- like uh, comes straight from uh, Taiwan, uh, uh, Wei Chen uh, comes to the school, and Wei Chen because they are uh, new, a, a new uh, immigrant, they uh, haven't have don't have the full grasp of English yet, um, and obviously have no allies or, or friends there, and. Like uh, in, a, in an early bit, Wei Chen uh, goes to Jin uh, as, an, as seeing like, oh, there's another there's another person who's like me uh, in, in some way. And to begin with, like Jin wants no part of it, and that uh, is really sad because, especially because he points towards these uh, like bullies who have been horrible to him and says like, oh, those are my friends over there. And it's like mm. it's, it's awful. It's, it's it's really awful to, to read some of these bits because um, you just it, it feels so real. It feels so real, and um, not not to just keep quoting uh, like pages, but I think what it is 
I mean, there's so many bits which are just the panels them, themselves speak so much. Because, I mean, a lot of the chatter we've gone going into this thing has been about, like, um, duh, 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 like... Uh, like what? What have you? Bring, what of where? What we've brought to it from our own experiences, mm. but um, just like a, a panel where you have the free Asian characters, Jin, Wei Chen, and, and and Susie, who's Japanese, and they're all laughing and having fun, and you just know in that moment they're all together, like they're in their world, and they're like uh, they're they're mocking Jin, um, but in a in a fun, playful way, and then these two racist douchebags just walk by. Uh, and say a couple of slur jokes, and the panels after that are so devastating because they're wordless. Uh, no one like shouts back, shut up, or anything like that. Instead, all all three of them are like, "Oh yeah, we're Asian in America," yeah, and, and the panels linger like the hurt would linger. Yeah, I thought that was a really oh, effective page. Absolutely brutal yeah. because, like, uh, I've been in similar situations, but not in the same situation, but with the same level of deflation and like, oh uh, yeah, I, I, I got too comfortable. It's like, mm. oh, I got too comfortable around these people. And it's like, it's an awful, awful feeling. And I think that there's so many examples in the book, just even in that storyline that are so uh, like sharp and straight to the point, but in a non soapboxy way, they just present the truth uh, with so much so much detail, but with no exposition, and I, I think the 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 book's really effective for that. And I think it's good, really good at shifting tones. And I think it's because the um, the themes of the three stories all work together that when it shifts over to say the journey to the west storyline, which feels more metaphorical as you anyway because of the setting. And um, how um, how uh, large in life it is, uh, and how how fable how fabulistic it is. Um, even then, it's still like it's still kind of brutal as you're seeing, as you're reading through the uh, through the metaphor and connecting it to the overall like thesis of the book. And it's it it, it is this uh, I don't know this like sad feeling of like that I think it links to the never good enough type thing and as as part of that storyline the monkey king like learns all these like cool techniques and studies and meditates studies and meditates all day to sort of uh transform uh himself to something uh something different something something beyond and uh what I really like in, in those scenes in particular is how the the character designs of all the different James of the West characters and some of the other um, like Chinese legend uh, characters are displayed. There's this nice sort of colourful, vibrant look, and because it's a lot of uh, animal gods, they all have uh, these cool designs which are based on like if you look and and see like the uh, traditional designs they're, they're based on that but they're they're made a bit more uh cartoony for lack of mm. a better word but uh but in a way that fits the the look and the maison uh, of the um of the overall look of that 
portion of the story. And I, I think it's 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 just really good. And uh, I, I think that the structure doesn't work as well as, as we get towards the end and mm. uh, things converge a little bit. But I think um, what works is the the theme. And I think that that uh, that the way the the way the theme of the story lands is is more it it feel it feels better than how the narrative lands uh, for la- for lack of better English. No, I think but, uh, I ag- agree with that. Yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah, like I, I, I know being a monologuing and that a lot. <laughs> I'll, I'll like uh, I'll like uh, vacate the seat slightly to because I want to hear a bit more about what you guys have to say. But I I, I do want to touch on the. Um, the Danny um, portion of the book, because mm. like I said, that, that is like surrealistic and nightmarish because you're in this living sitcom and uh, you have this uh, stereotype incarnate character who is pure loathsome caricature uh, who uh, speaks in like the uh, high pitch English with like the, uh, which is like overall Asian stereotype, which is like, mixing L's and R's um, has like uh, like super like squinty eyes and, and buck teeth and it's uh, is wearing like the like old style Chinese uh, outfits that you'd see in like older Hollywood movies has the hair in the, the sort of Q style and it's um, it's, it's it's like that aggressively racist coolie stereotype yeah and, and it's, it's monstrous but like it's layered because on top of that, you have sort of newer, newer Asian stereotypes mm-hmm. overlaid onto that, like the model minority and how the character is uh, overtly uh, intelligent at, at everything. Yeah, like uh, hyper competent despite yeah. being disgusting at the same time. And then you've got the whole like bad singing thing, which if you remember, like last decade in American Idol, uh, is it William Hung who was who is a uh, basically all over the internet for his rendition of, uh, I think it, was it Ricky Martin as well? I, I can't remember. But um, like there's a lot of that stuff and like newer stereotype is overlaid onto onto that character. Um, and yeah, it, 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 I think it works so well because I think it, it, it's, um, uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a splash of like water, like ice cold water to the face. And that's uh, me saying that as uh, someone who is not uh, Asian, uh, like Asian American or uh, like uh, Asian uh, in any sense, where um, like those aren't the stereotypes used to stab me, but like uh, it's still quite jarring and shock when the character first comes up, and like, it's weird because I could I could see people reading this and like not not. Uh, laughing in an evil way like where they fully are not understanding the point of the book but uh but laughing in a way of like oh this is so ridiculous haha and it's like i i don't think the like it's so over the top and dark that i don't even think that that's an element to be uh read i think i read an interview somewhere with the author where they're saying at, at like um comic conventions uh, like one of his regrets is that he would have made the character 
look a bit more grotesque because mm-hmm. um, like people were saying, oh, I want to get a, a T-shirt on there. And it's like, God, yes. God. Yeah. And yeah, to say that to the author as well, mm-hmm. like, God, like, man, people are a trip. Uh, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, like there's so many layers there. And the way have the, the character is sort of this uh, nightmarish uh, shadow or familiar following around the Danny character. And like this, this reminder, this like fear, there's like everything that he's like bottled up and, and pushed away and rejected as, as in uh, trying to assimilate and uh, being more Western uh, and to a degree being more white and like mm-hmm. pushing away uh, Asian heritage. Um, you you have that like this dark spectre following him and just being all around his life and ruining his life every year. It it is uh, I know it, like it, it it's it's really compelling like horror story to a degree. But like ruining his life in a way of his own design because there's a point where he's talking to the girl he has a crush on and his interpretation of her rejection of him when he asked to be something more than friends is to place the blame on yeah. his cousin and like not even un- having an understanding of why he's doing that, what, in- what he's internalized about his hatred of his cousin and that, that aspect of his, you know, his family or whatever it is in that book. Um, like it's, it's so interesting because he just doesn't want to interrogate it and he compl- he's completely blind to it. And there's so, there's, there's a lot going on in, in this book, I feel like we could talk about it for hours. Yeah, we, 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 I think we could, and that's it, it's hard to, uh, like it's hard to speak of without going like, like point by point because there's a lot mm-hmm. of meat, a lot of depth there. But at the same time, it feels like you're doing a bit of a disservice in the more general way I've been speaking, even though I've been like monologuing for like 15 minutes. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah, overall, like how how what were you guys' takeaways? Um, like Rahon Greg. Well, can I can I dial back to a moment that you talked about earlier uh, about when you mentioned bondable moments? Because my one of my biggest takeaways from this book was how Jin has multiple foils throughout the story, even in the different the, like you know the the triptych of stories that we get. So you have that moment where he his instinct is to reject Suzy Nakamura because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be seen as uh, like you were saying earlier. Um, together they would be more visible um and i had this sense when i was reading it i was like i want him to be a better person i like as an you were saying as an adult it's it's shocking because it's like why would you reject the ally that you have in the room but you can kind of understand it as a kid when it's all about survival and wanting not to stand out um but you you want him to be a better person and then that better person comes in the form of wei chen who is um, you know, comes to him looking for a friend, looking for an ally, and Jin's initial reaction to him is also rejection, but they have this mutual connection, and Wei Chen has this affability that pushes through that barrier, and then we see time and time again Jin just fucking it up, making decisions, like really selfish choices, which jeopardize these connections that they've made, and it, cul- it like part of the way that the story like converges like diverges and converges is on that point i think and it's really like sharply painful like the moments where he um you can see that his aspirations 
lie in transforming into something else. Like he's so he has this aspiration to the bullies. Like he says to to Wei Chen that those bullies are my friends. You know, not realizing that he's internalized that self hatred as well. And I feel like this theme overlaps with something that isn't quite as overt, which is something I noticed on my second read of the book, which is like a rejection of aggression, a rejection of like American aggression in particular, because there's parts where in the Danny storyline where he's um, he's so like visibly annoyed, he's visibly distressed at having Chinky in his in his life being like excelling at school. And so he takes this opportunity to like excel at sports and he talks to this other jock guy who's seemingly friendly, but acts with this like aggressive banter. Whereas in the Jin storyline, we have a character like Wei Chen, who when he's trapped in, uh, he's like, he's trapped in this room with um, a girl that Jin likes. And he, he has this conversation where it's all, it's very loving and very like friendship first. And I feel like it's, the book is subtly saying that this, um, acceptance of love and acceptance of this companionship and friendship and brothership is more important than the aggressiveness of like um Jin makes a friend early on but it's it's forged of aggression it's forged of this bully who says be my friend or I'll beat you up you know yeah and I I feel like that was something that was subtly written into that story and that really really affected me when all those themes were tied up towards the end yeah, definitely. Uh, I uh, hyper agree there, and um, I think that a a big big strength of this book is it really easily could have been uh, a Gary Stu type character who is having lots of stuff inflicted on them, and then they make like generic mistakes as a f- fully realized character mm. but then the like they're more a victim of what's going on uh, like a bystander and i think it's uh, so interesting and just real and and brutally truthful for it to be a case where this character uh, is in awful an awful circumstance really and mm. it's dealing it with the best they can which um happens to be terribly and which is true mm. for pretty much all of us at that age no matter what uh our like background is um but you're gonna have you're still developing then you're still trying to get an idea of the sense of the world and um well yeah because that's the thing like when i said earlier i i was imploring Jin to be a better person what I really mean is I want to see him make better choices. And by that, I think I mean make less emotionally and traumatically driven choices, which is what the world is placing on him. Like, you can kind of see the machination of why he makes these, like, these wrong, quote-unquote, wrong, awful decisions that, you know, alienate him from his from his history, alienate him from his sense of self. And it's painful to watch him go through that because you know it's preventable, but you also know exactly why he's doing it yeah no 100 percent. uh greg did you have any uh well <laughs> i've just been sitting listening to you guys to be honest because i i mean like i've already mentioned i i'm when i read this it's like a learning moment for me and i'm i'm looking from the outside in because i i don't have any experiences in that i can equate to this i don't have 
anything that this isn't something that I've ever experienced or ever had to deal with. So for me, it's like a learning moment in, in learning that this is what other kids around me when I was that age have probably had to deal with. And also learning that maybe, you know, I've been insensitive without realizing it and things like that. And just, just. Do you think that yeah. uh, one, the gin storyline works as a good coming of age story. And two, do you feel that the free stories work well together thematically and beyond yes i do yeah i think i think they work well together and they fit well together to tell one story and i like the way that it all converges and comes together and how everything is eventually tied in and explained like three separate strings coming together to make one rope and um i do think that the gin story does work as a good coming of age story as well actually yeah i do i do like that because in in reading that I can actually see, I mean, as much as, because I guess, I guess there's some universal elements there as well. Like, uh, there's, I mean, there are things in there that I can pick out and say, yes, you know, that's, that's been me in middle school and things like that. But <laughs> it's, I mean, as much as it, there are some universal elements there as well that you can pick out and I can see it as a good coming of age story. And it, there are things in there that I could, I could like, yeah, definitely. Well, it's really funny because, like, it's we've dived deep into this like literary reading of the thing, or, like reading of the text. But there's also a bunch of moments which are like they must be drawn from life. They must be like semi autobiographical because there's such non sequiturs stuff. Like when he goes on a date and uh, we have this clip of um, like because he's been cycling up this hill to to get to get to his date. He's all sweaty and he has this memory of his cousin saying, "Just use the dry soap that you have, um, you know, that they have in the bathrooms." And then he ends up when he when he hugs his date, he leaves like soap bubbles from his armpit on her shoulder, and like it's it doesn't really add anything to the theme, but it's such a such a funny non sequitur that 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 must have happened to him or somebody that he knows. Semi autobiographical, possibly. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it must because so it's many quite funny specific, like isn't well. it? it? It's quite a specific thing to. But I mean, like, um, it, yeah, it's quite a specific situation. But the other the other things as well that. Um, like there's some really great like pages in this like in in the way that it uses the comic medium and things like the um the page where he goes to sleep after hearing her say yes to him to go on a date yeah yeah i, I love, love that her. page with all the mm. yeses and then the big yes over yeah that that's great and that is a really great representation of what that feels like i think yeah just yeah <laughs> That kind of stuff, like, there's some really good, like, um, techniques in this book, like, comp like uh, sequential art techniques in general. And I do love the general style of the book. Mm. Like, I like this kind of, like, um, stark uh, cartoon style that it has going on. It's like, uh, like, no shading for the most part. And it's, yeah, yeah like, block colours, which is, like, has this really, like, cool look to it. Yeah. And especially for the monkey storyline, because it feels like an adventure story yeah mm. and it's filled with like action and larger than life uh, uh elements mm. and some like m like light trippy moments like where there's a moment where he's confronting god and like tries to out out chase him and the way it plays with the medium there is really interesting oh uh, yeah yeah that that is uh that that was great 
like I've spoiled some things in this discussion, but I'm refusing to mention exactly what that is. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think uh, as far as all of us have been speaking, um, like there's elements that we've spoken about out of context that I think that it's just hard to talk about it without doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could probably breadcrumb the time, but I, but I don't think so. I think a lot of this book, especially because the way that it ends, I think it is like um, like the story that the uh, Monkey King is from. It's a journey, uh, and it is a, it is a, a journey to the West, Badumtish, because um, that's what it is. Um, like growth and survival in America, um, mm-hmm. and dealing with uh, loud racism, but also uh, the more devastating quiet racism, which is more common, and all that while also like trying to be a teenager in America mm. or in the West, which is uh, just a teenager in life. It, it's tough. No, no matter no matter what you got uh, going on, it's just the those extra things are multipliers. <laughs> yeah, being a teenager is hard. I can and and I can only imagine like or, or you know from reading this book, I can only get a sense of how difficult it, it must have been for Jin. But yeah, no. Um, I I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good book, and um, <clears throat> I I would recommend it to anyone. I think I think it's actually um, one of those things that I could say would be quite essential reading, maybe. As something, yeah, I, I, yeah. I hadn't heard of this book, and I think it was a great recommendation from Leon. And yeah. I didn't realize until after I'd read it that it is actually part of the curriculum in America in some places. In some oh, schools. really? Yeah, because yeah. I would have, I would have actually said it should be, it, it should be on a list somewhere as essential reading, mm. and it should be something that I think, um, I think, I think a lot, I think more people should read this just to get us, you know, either to have something that lets them know that they're not alone maybe someone can read this and, and have like you know see a shared experience in it or maybe someone could read this and learn from it yeah it'd be like an empathy yeah. machine and that's the thing like like i was saying at the beginning and like i say throughout and like i say whenever we speak about uh like comics that have some sort of a social edge at the forefront is that i know that for a portion of people hearing about the recommended those even uh, the most uh, interested and uh, progressive people will sometimes think, oh, it's like like work or uh, it's uh, going to make me feel bad. And I, I always like to push back on that and and be like, I, 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 I think, I don't think it will cause you stuff like that more than reading the average book, like uh, the two other the two other comics that I spoke about this episode. Yeah. And I always think mm-hmm. that while those, the elements that we focus on are important and structural to the book, but like, like we've made a big deal about like the, the coming of age element on there is quite universal. And mm. I think that regardless of who you are, what your background is, I think it's, it is like, like Greg said, it's essential uh, reading, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I like the idea of some, like somebody in Taiwan reading everything and going, "Oh, another story about American consumerism." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess that wraps us up. We're at the bottom of the list now. That's all of it. Um, that's everything. 
Um, so are we moving on to the pool list now? Is that what we're doing? I think that's what it's we're doing. It's time. Let's yes, do it. It is time. So this episode is available from the 11th of September. And on the 11th of September, um, it's also a new comic book day. And a couple of things that I've picked from that day. I've only got two. I've got the Moon Knight Annual, number one. Um, now, I love me a bit of Moon Knight. Moon Knight battles Kang the Conqueror. Kang the Conqueror has found a way to rewrite history in his own image, but when the chance to settle an ancient grudge against the Egyptian god Khonshu tempts Kang, the process is interrupted and time and reality go quickly go haywire. Now Khonshu's avatar, Moon Knight, must find a way to fix the stream, time stream before Kang is able to complete his goal. But with time acting erratically, there's no telling where Moon Knight will end up or when. So... I guess this is kind of like a standalone Moon Knight uh, story that you could pick up. Um, just just a little something that, you know, like a, a, a standalone Marvel story about a cool Marvel character, Moon Knight, and uh, Kang the Conqueror, a cool Marvel villain. Um, something that stood out to me because, you know, I, I like me some Moon Knight, and uh, I'm always happy for a bit of Moon Knight. Also, it's Cullen Bunn, who is uh, your guy from... Um, Harrow County and other such books, um, Man of Black, that kind of stuff. Everything that I tend to rave about on this podcast. Uh, the next one on my list uh, I picked up was Silver Surfer Black number four, which is uh, one before penultimate. If you remember, this thing's only five issues long. And um, yeah, it's been a fantastic series so far. And if you haven't started reading it, why not? Um, maybe go back to one of our previous episodes. There's an episode we did called A Bead of Mercury in a Sea of Paint, which is my best shorthand description for the art in this book because it is absolutely fucking gorgeous. And <laughs> no other way to put it, in all honesty. So go pick up Silver Surfer Black. Um, if you can find issue one anywhere, if you're that lucky pick up issue one maybe wait for the trade to come out now i don't know i'm just letting you know number four's on sale so you probably haven't got that much longer to wait if you are waiting for the trade because there's only five of them um ray where are we with you for the 11th i've only got the one and um like i often do i only picked it out on the strength of the cover it's called trees three fates um it's a number one new number one by warren ellis and jason howard uh something about a dead body a dead body appearing at the leg of a tree um that's good enough for me. It looks cool. There's like a uh, silhouette of a dude walking along some train forest that looks like a skull. Looks like he hold, isn't he holding an axe? Yeah, might might well be. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, like, judging books by their covers, Ray, have I taught you nothing on here? <laughs> I don't listen to you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know. I'm just, uh, yeah, being facetious. So, um... The following week is the 18th, and uh, a couple that I picked out from there, I picked up something called You Are Obsolete. And uh, great. <laughs> yeah, it's because yeah. uh, the book is literally telling me I'm obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, so, You Are Obsolete, uh, and it's got this picture of this creepy blonde kid with a smartphone, and it is really, really creepy, and she has this like ultra-weird smile, and I don't like it, and it's going to keep me up tonight. And it's this fucking fisheye thing going on as well. And it's just like Children of the Corn meets The Omen and a bunch of other weird shit. 
Um, a disgraced journalist is called to cover a mysterious story on an isolated European island. As she investigates, she discovers the children have taken control and are somehow killing off all adults by their 40th birthdays. <laughs> now she must discover the truth behind the killings while staying on the good side of the children's harsh leader or she's next. Yeah, it's basically the opposite of something is killing the children, I think. Because something's killing the four-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, it just sounds brilliant, like the whole premise, and uh, kind of want it. And it's something to do with technology, by the looks of it. Because there's a lot of like both of the covers that I can see here have got smartphones like featured, or some kind of screen featured, um, and uh, I don't know if this is something to do with people that like as soon as you get to a certain age, you forget how to operate shit. I don't know. Like, I'm, I mean, I, I, always, I always think of myself as quite tech savvy and I, I like to think I might remain quite tech savvy, but I can feel that maybe by the age of 40 or something, like something just flipped, the switch just gets flipped in my head and I'm going to be asking my kids how to do stuff with my reading glasses perched on my nose or something. And it's, it's like... Yeah, exactly. And and maybe I don't want to experience that. Maybe I'd like to go to this European island where someone kills me before I'm 40. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the other one I had was something called Steeple Number 1. Now, I picked this out um, because it just, I, I don't know, it just something about it just seems like ultra cool. And also the artwork on the cover, it's got like this Cartoon Network vibe going on. Um. Like the you know the Cartoon Network cartoon cartoon stuff, uh, fairly odd parents that kind of style. A supernatural tale of friendships, the devil, and moral grey areas. Two women with wildly different worldviews become unlikely friends as they navigate the supernatural happenings in a sleepy coastal parish, and soon find themselves forced to choose sides in the war between good and evil, facing demons, curses, and a miniature rapture. And this is uh, John Allison. Uh, Max, Star, uh, Max Sarin and Sarah Stern. So that is looking pretty good. Uh, one of the things I picked up on my list was Once and Future number two, which we talked about in the previous episode, and Strayed number two, which we also talked about in the previous episode. Both of them are very good books. Once and Future two um, is this really cool, like, subversion of Arthurian legend, which is quite fun. And Strayed is cats. Not just any cats intergalactic cats beautifully drawn intergalactic cats um that will melt your heart and at the same time save the universe and it was fantastic so go back to our previous episode um the silver surfer with ears and a tail and uh, give that a listen because that will tell you more about straight and once in future and the second issue of those are out on the 18th so you got time to catch up uh, if one is still on the shelves, then grab it, please do. Ray, where are we with you for the 18th? Uh, I've only got a couple. Blade Runner 2019, number three. Uh, just a continuation of this storyline that I'm pretty invested in. Uh, up's pretty cool, ranks pretty cool. It's by Michael Green and Andres Guinaldo. And then there's Napoleon Dynamite, number one. Um, I, have no, I have no real idea what it's about beyond it being Napoleon Dynamite in his senior year. Uh, but the cover sold me because it's the Vote for Pedro t-shirt, but instead of Vote For, it's scrubbed out and it says Impeach on top of it. So I get the feeling it's going to be topical, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm surprised you didn't twig when I mentioned John Allison's name. 
right? I did, um, but it was too late to respond. But yes, anything by John Allison, I'll pick up. Yeah, because that that's yeah. exactly why I put it on this. I thought this has got to be Ray's jam. It's it's, it's, no his, idea, it's yeah. his giant. It's his giant days person. <laughs> it's the giant days person. Yeah, but, I love him. Yeah, He's great. yeah. So yeah, that is uh, the pull list for the following two weeks and i guess that wraps us up for this episode entirely so that has been ace comicals episode number 71 um you can find us at www.acecomicals.com which is the hub for everything that we do all the places you can find us uh, you'll find us on twitter under ace comicals where we're the most active you'll find us on facebook under ace comicals instagram under ace comicals uh you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Castro, Overcast, Pocketcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, like your listening app of choice. I'm guessing we're available pretty much everywhere. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B A T T O U. Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monke. That's at M O O N K E. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Uh, you can get involved with the conversation with us on Twitter, at us, DM us, etc. Um, you can also uh, get involved in the conversation by sending an email off to acecomicals at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you, so please. Um, and uh, yeah, that wraps us up. That's Ace Comicals over and out.